You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Fay. It happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the moments that led you to become an artist. And my guest today is Marin Ireland. As Jesse Green of the New York Times said, and I love this quote, she is one of the great drama queens of the New York stage. Ms. Ireland specializes in modern women caught between their intelligence and their circumstances. And to quote Ben Brantley, also of the New York Times, he said, she is one of New York theater's most inspired and entertaining interpreters of people programmed to self-destruct. Just a few of her theater credits include Happy Talk, Blue Ridge, Summer and Smoke, Iron Bond, On the Exhale, Kill Floor, Marie Antoinette, The Big Life, Three Sisters, Miss Julie, A Lie of the Mind, Reasons to be Pretty, Far Away, Nocturne. On TV, she starred in the series Sneaky Pete and the Umbrella Academy. She was also in Mildred Pierce, Homeland, The Divide, Girls, and on and on and on and on. Welcome. How are you? <laughs> Thank you. I have to say, you know, it's funny. I don't read any reviews and um, I, I'm like tearing up a little because I'm like overwhelmed. <laughs> I feel very... Um, uh, the the little the little girl in me is very um, um shocked that that people <laughs> at the New York Times uh, have nice things to say. It's um yeah it's a it's a strange time uh, obviously and I think like uh, I think I'm a little more vulnerable to reevaluating my, <laughs> my yeah. life and I want to be sensitive to that. Forgive me because how are you doing? I, you know, um, obviously, it's such a, bear, a tough time. I actually, um, to speak to one element of what we're going through, I actually uh, had COVID back in March um, on a pretty, I was I was very lucky. I didn't have to be hospitalized or anything. I had a pre- pretty mild case uh, overall, but it was about three or four weeks of um, feeling terrible. So it was... Um, 
but I, you know, I, so I was early on and I, so I, you know, I have some antibodies and things, but it was definitely um, an intense time. And then now uh, feeling like, you know, I want to be out in the streets um, yes. protesting and supporting as much as I can and uh, trying to learn and, and reflect and um, read and donate and all of those things. And, um, you know, it feels like we're, we're still in the middle of a changing world and that is the closest thing I have felt to some sort of optimism honestly in a long time feeling like maybe there's some real change so that's that's a little bit how I'm doing but very emotional and um and and vulnerable and trying to reevaluate you know where this art form lives now and where it should be and what we should be doing uh, I hear you. It really is. I've heard it called an awakening, mm. which I really think is beautiful, but it's also a time of so much pain and mm-hmm. sadness. And mm-hmm. it's hard to to marry those, all these pieces together mm-hmm. and to figure out how you fit in or how mm-hmm. I fit in in this very complex piece. And I'm so sorry that you had to endure Oh my goodness. I feel, I feel very, very lucky. Honestly, I feel very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can, can we talk about, um, in terms of your place in the world, Mm -hmm. can we go back to you in California, right? Uh You're from California originally, Mm -hmm. right? And when you were performing as a kid or were you performing as a kid in the backyard or in school? Or I read that you went to an, uh, to kind of a conservatory academy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, um, it's funny that you ask about, you know, performing in the backyard. I was, um, I was so, uh, shy and the town I grew up in is called Camarillo. It's about halfway between LA and Santa Barbara. And while I was a kid there, it was where the um, state mental hospital used to be. <laughs> so it was um, uh, stigmatized, especially by, you know, um, uh, school kids. Um, it was a cheap place to get a house <laughs> when my parents couldn't afford anything. And so there wasn't a lot of development there. Um, now it's where the there's a giant outlet mall in Camarillo. So now it's hilariously done a complete about face and it's a, a somewhat kind of a she she uh, commuter town for for LA types but um <laughs> but um then it was there were lots of weird empty fields and nothing there and um I did used to do a lot of like I, I don't think I've ever really I haven't thought about this quite that, that much before but me and my friends would just do lots of like um you know uh, imagination play in the backyards and like there wasn't really places to go and do things so or lots of toys around or whatever so it was like we would play we would do role-playing stuff like I'm Robin Hood in the backyard or whatever and that was like my favorite thing to do but I was um reading all the time all the time and I was really really shy other than like my backyard experiments <laughs> but um <laughs> And I went to a very small progressive elementary school in California that doesn't even exist anymore um, that was called Intergate that was so amazing. And we did, as a school, two plays a year. 
uh, like in the winter and the spring. And the whole school was involved. So even if you were a preschooler, you were like in a swarm of ants that were in a picnic scene or you were the clouds Mm -hmm. rolling by, just some way for everyone to be involved. So I was always in plays. And it wasn't until like fifth, sixth grade that you got cast in speaking roles. And I remember doing two plays in particular. One was a, you know, whatever was 45 minute version of Midsummer Night's Dream in which I played Helena. And one was some bizarre that I can't explain to you what it was. Some like sequel to The Wizard of Oz or companion piece maybe (laughs) called Christmas in Oz. You can guess what time of year we did that one. And that I played Dorothy. And I I do remember suddenly having like a brand new experience in life where I was hiding completely. I felt completely freed and hiding. And I've since talked to a lot of other actors and it's like some actors really like the being looked at part, you know, like some actors I know started out in some ways when they were a kid, like, excuse me, like uh, making people laugh at home or something. And they liked getting the laughs and, and the attention. And I was the opposite. I really loved disappearing and uh, disappearing into the play. And so as soon as the play was over, I was back to being shy, but I liked, I really loved being able to like be incognito and do all these crazy things. And it's probably part of why what excites me the most now are playing parts that are far from me, um, getting to like, uh, you know, have an experience that's so different from me. Um, but uh, so it, it was crazy. I, I, you know, my, and my mom was working full time and um, raising me by herself. And she was going back to school. She hadn't, she was getting her bachelor's and then her master's. She got both in night school while she was working full time and raising me. Wow. So she was in class every night, driving hours to go to, you know, crazy wherever she could get whatever class she needed to get. And, um, she so she needed something for me to be doing after school <laughs> so so I was I, this was the other f- weird stroke of random luck is that so I was doing these these school plays and I was carpooling with this family um that was doing community theater and I remember just like being in the car and they were like oh we're going to audition for this youth community theater show today after school and I the first time I went along with them I was so caught off guard that I didn't think I could audition for it because they were like, you want to just audition? And I was like, oh, I didn't know. And but then I kind of watched and then they did the show. And then so the next time around, like a month or two later, like those, you know, kind of runs are very short. Mm-hmm. The next time around, I was in the car with them and I auditioned for a part in Alice in Wonderland and got cast as a flower and a card. And... uh that was my first like play that wasn't, I was 11 years old and my, one of my friends from my carpool was also in it. So I had, my mom was thrilled. I could get to and from rehearsal and I was in rehearsal after school every day. And I just loved it. Like it was suddenly that was, so it was, it was weird though. It wasn't like my experience in that was what, you know, changed everything. That was the first time I will say the first time I do remember having like a big personal experience doing a play was I did, then I did a zillion plays with that youth group. Um, And the play that really like 
I, I had a very big personal experience with was um, Picnic, and I played mm-hmm. Millie. And mm-hmm. that was, like, with this, like, youth group thing. And I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. And I remember being like, this is me. <laughs> like, I had, I have an older sister too, and she's the pretty one. You know, I was really like, this is me. This is my, I, I'm like having this very like earth-shaking experience of what, what, the, what it can feel like. And um, also I just, the community of it was a big deal for me. I feeling like such a shy out, outsider and we were all, all the weird theater kids were all then in a space together and it wasn't connected to school and it wasn't connected to, um, you know, anything else other than you're just all going to be on each other's side. There was no other clicks inside of it. You know, you're all on the same team in a way. And I never played sports. I'm terrible at all that stuff. So, so, <laughs> so, you know, it was like, it was just like a, it was a group and, and I, and I don't remember ever then making a decision. That's the funny thing about like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this forever. It was just what I was doing. Um, and then uh, in the summer, um, when I was like 14, after I did Picnic, my mom, she was also always looking for, you know, free summer things for me to do because she was so busy. And I, she found this like summer camp that I could get a financial aid package to or scholarship or whatever. And I went to that and they recruited me for the year. I didn't even know they had a year round school there. And, um, they told me they could would go. I could go for free, and I remember calling my mom and being like, "Mom, I'm gonna go to boarding school here." And she was like, "No, I'm not ready." <laughs> and I was like, "It's so great. I love it. It's in the mountains." She was really upset. She wasn't really. She wasn't prepared. I mean, she was like, "Well, I guess you're going," you know. But but it was a big deal. I was definitely scared. I was a kid. I mean, I was, and it was, but it was all my decision. And my mom also had to deal with, you know, her friends being like, why'd you send your kid away? And she was like, are you kidding? Um, but I went there for the last two years of, uh, high school and it was, it still is like the best two years of my life. I mean, we were in the mountains in Idlewild, California, um, three and a half, four hours from my house. So long enough that, you know, my mom could come up for a weekend to see the play or something I was doing. But I did. I played, you know, I played Joan of Arc in The Lark. I played Mother Courage. I played, it was, it was crazy. It was, but it was, it was a really big experience for me. And it was, um, you had academic classes in the morning. It was like interlocking, you know, there's only two or three places like that in the country. And, uh, you did your art academic class in the morning and then your arts classes all afternoon and rehearsal at night and classes on Saturdays. And I was, I've never been happier in my life. It was just like the, the monastic existence that I, that I, I, um, strive for <laughs> in my life, I think. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's so extraordinary because when you're in that environment, it's like you can eat and breathe theater mm-hmm. right, around the clock. And- and everybody also, that was the other thing I experienced so much there that was so beautiful is like, you know, you everybody had um, like a major when you're there. But um, so you all supported each other. So I saw more music and dance than I've ever, that I've seen even in my years in New York. You know, it's just a regular part of our lives. And everybody is supporting each other. And the academic teachers are in full support. They know when you're in tech and they know when you have your big, you know, concert coming up. And it was just like a very, um, you know... Uh, idyllic atmosphere, not to not to you know make a pun on Idlewild, but it was yeah. um, it was just like a it was a way of thinking about it all that was very um, felt to me like something I also really uh, treasure is this feeling of like good clean work, you know, like it was mm-hmm. very um, it felt the closest to my my dream of that that you know doing this kind of work feels like. Um, something very tangible, like making a, making a, like woodworking or (laughs) building a house, you know, it felt very like clean and, and, and and good. And then, and then, uh, doing those roles, my goodness, like mother courage. (laughs) Now, did that lead you then? Was that, was it a natural progression then to go to the heart school, the performing arts conservatory at the university of hearts? Yeah. You know, they had all of us uh, in your senior year. They they also were very clear about, you know, if you don't do this for your career, that's nobody's going to be disappointed in you. This you're learning different kinds of skills um, that will serve you whatever you do. But you but that said, your one of your senior year kind of projects that you get graded on is just is auditioning for school. So you didn't have to if you didn't think you were going to go to an art school, that was fine. You didn't have to. Um, pay money and apply to any schools but we they took us all to Chicago which is where the greatest concentration of schools at that time at least um, were in one weekend and so if you didn't think you wanted to go you did have to at least do like walk-in auditions for a few places so you didn't have to pay any money but they that was part of our your final project was having monologues ready and being and like going through the gauntlet of auditioning and um so I must have auditioned for like 20 something schools. I mean, I just was like, we were just like, what's next? Who can I go? Can I, can I get in there? Can I audition for that? You know? And, uh, I was such, um, a naive, you know, I was 16. I was very young for my age there. And, uh, I had no sense at all of the business and what it would require or what it was like, not at, at all. Um, so I didn't, like, I remember I auditioned for Juilliard. I was too young. They called me back and they were like, called my mom and they said, like, she's only 16. She can audition again next year, but no guarantee she'd get in. And I was like, but I'm ready for training now. You know, I, <laughs> like, I was very... Courage. I could do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was like in my groove. You know, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do for a full year? Like, waste it around, you know. So I... um uh Ended up, so what was exciting to me is really like 
looking at every audition then as as where I was interviewing them. So I remember that was exciting about the hard school was that, well, first of all, they had started, the, the, those same uh, people had started the program at North Carolina School of the Arts and a couple of my heroes at the time and still were Mary Louise Parker and Joe Mantello and they had trained mm-hmm. them at NCSA. And so I was like, well, they've, they've, they've started programs before and been successful. And the fact that it was brand new, they said, well, you know, you'll have weekly meetings with the dean to discuss um, what you feel you need more of or less of or, or how it's going. And that sounded exciting to me to be able to participate in that feedback. And also, I really wanted to experience everything. So they said, well, since we're new, we'll, we'll be sharing teachers with Yale and NYU and Juilliard because they'll all be in the area. And I was like, well, this is great. It's like going to all the places. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and we, had, we were going to have a semester in England. We were going to have a semester on purely new plays. We were going to have, you know, all of these di- experience, all the different um, methodologies we could. And that sounded like what I was the most excited by. So without thinking about how being in the first class of something might negatively affect, you know, arrival in New York or agents or anything. Um, and having never been to Hartford before, <laughs> I <laughs> went and was shocked when I got to Hartford. It was like, oh, this is not what I expected. Um, it was a wild experience. I will say, you know, I don't know what it would have been like if I hadn't already learned so much at Idlewild because I went in like with a with already with a different sense of my own training and having been effectively training for two years because um, it was very chaotic. Now, of course, it's like this great program that's like connected to Hartford Stage and the Goodspeed. And we were still trying to build those when we were there, those connections. And at the time we had, I mean, I remember doing, we had no building or anything. So now they have a beautiful complex. At the time, I remember, but this was a very big experience for me too. We did Three Sisters and we had to perform it in basically like, a, a classroom, like an English classroom with like fluores- the fluorescent lights and um, like the desks with the, with the ch- uh, chairs with the desks attached that like flipped <laughs> up and stuff. So the audience had to sit all around us in the round at these weird chairs with desks attached and the fluorescent lights on a chalkboard. And I remember being, now I think about it all the time and I'm like, that was such an incredible cool like downtown theater prep experience because (laughs) it was such a weird place to do it but at the same time it forced us to like be seen by the audience to not rely on anything to just be in the space we were to understand that the play works wherever you put it that we can do the scene wherever we are and that there's no other you don't need anything else and Mm -hmm. like that kind of thing was so ultimately I think was really freeing and thrilling for like the artist that I kind of am still trying to become. Um, but also that it was, we were, I was to a two hour bus ride from New York and that changed everything for me. I think, um, I had never really been to New York before. And so I started just taking the bus in, uh, every weekend I could. And I had friends from Idlewild who were in school at NYU and things. So I would come in and stay with them and saw a zillion shows. And that gave me the confidence that, you know, as soon as I was done to be able to like live in New York, you know, I, 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 I don't know that I would have felt as free to do that. Um, But I, I think I always knew New York would probably be the place for me. Then I didn't feel at all like television, I didn't see anybody that looked like me on TV. Um, 
before. And, and I thought maybe I could do like independent movies, but I thought probably I would just do like the classics on stage. I didn't understand anything <laughs> about anything, but you know, then TV was so different. I didn't, yeah. I, it was just the major networks. I didn't, I didn't see myself there. And, um, it was a definitely a big steep learning curve when I actually got to New York. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, um, I know it's probably like maybe a favorite child. Some of the performances or some of the p- plays or musicals you saw that really stood out for you? Yeah, I do. I remember there was one weekend in particular, um, but I saw The Gin Game with Julie Harris and Charles Dur- Durning, and I oh. was in probably the last row. <laughs> I... <laughs> I, it was like a $20 rush ticket and I was in the absolute last row of the farthest possible seat. And, you know, they're sitting at a table for the whole play. And yet I felt like I was at the table with them. I remember, um, feeling like it's something I think about all the time when, especially when people talk about like, you know, oh, how you have to be like bigger when you're on Broadway or whatever. And I was like, you don't like you have to fill the space somehow and you have to keep in your in your mind and heart the farthest person sitting you know the 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 the, the entire room but that's different than just like being big because I was like I remember feeling like I was right there with them and that's a different a different kind of size you know um and uh it's it's like I feel like I just saw it yesterday and it it like stuck me so hard Julie since I played that whenever since playing the lark (laughs) when I read her name in the beginning of the book I became very obsessed with her and I met her a few times um while I was in college one of our professors knew her and then I became friends with her um Um. after moving to New York um and we became pen pals and uh, and and friends. And um, it, it's a it's a wild thing to me because uh, she like she was it continues to be even now after her death um, a, a beacon yeah. for me of some kind of um, a way of being in this profession and in this world. But that 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 show in particular. Um, I think about I think about all the time. Yeah, that's what I miss most, or one of the many pieces I miss about the theater right now, about being there and that intimacy, and yeah. like you said, that you're that you're so connected mm-hmm. with these people on stage and the audience, and this yeah. collective feeling. It's just there's no other intimacy that I. I mean, there's it's such a beautiful intimacy. Can you talk about then your professional debut? Isn't there a great story about when you made your, or one of the first? Oh, with Nocturne? Nocturne. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, so, uh, you know, I, I, this is a story I feel like I, I, you know, I've told this bird, this part of the story a lot of times where I basically, I had done a ton of summer stock while I was in school. Um, auditioning at the like NETCs and the straw hat auditions. I don't even know if they do that anymore. I think they probably do, Mm -hmm. but um, you could go to like one audition and then 
for yeah. all the summer stock companies. And so I did all this summer stock. Um, and so I had my equity card by the time I graduated, uh, the summer I graduated. Um, wow. Because they, I, I was always doing it every summer. I was at the summer theater at Mount Holyoke College, which I don't think runs is operating anymore, which is sad because they were one of the last like one week stock, true one week stock companies. So I did like three summers of true one week stock, which was unbelievably like uh, educational in so many ways. Um, but so my, so because I had spent all these summers there, my last year after I graduated, they basically like, granted me like as the equity fairy granted me my card because they they had like three three slots a a show that for equity members and they offered me one of those parts so I had been saving up my little weeks and then suddenly I had my card so I took myself on this like I packed all my stuff was in my car and I just drove around to every theater I could after reading reading the regional theater directory I would call them up and say you know um I'm an equity member can I audition for you like I mean it was cuckoo um (laughs) And they would usually be like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or they would, or they would tell me when their local auditions were. So any place I could drive to. And one of those places was, um, ART. Uh. And I thought it was a dumb idea because they had their graduate students who were my age, but it turned out that the slot that Nocturne was going to have, their grad students were still going to be in Moscow. So they actually did need somebody <laughs> who was younger. <laughs> and um, I had a job lined up um, that was uh, non-equity. That was going to be like Vermont Shakespeare Festival. I was going to play Bianca in Taming of the Shrew. Um, and then I, after I auditioned for ART, they called me and said they wanted to call me back for this new play. Um, this guy, Adam Rapp, it was his, like, you know, <laughs> big debut. Um, he had done some like random little things in New York, but this was his first real production. And he had written this one man show that he was adapting, uh, to have all these other parts in it. So they said, you will have to do your monologue again. And then the director will work with you, but we can't give you a script because we don't have it. And we can't tell you if you'll have any lines because you might not because he's still adapting it. That part will be in the show, but you might not have any lines. We don't know. You might have a bunch of lines. You might also be naked the whole time you're on stage because that's an idea we're tossing around. So they said, (laughs) they said, uh, assume the worst, like assume that you'll be naked the whole time and have no lines because we don't want anybody to come in for the callback and then get the job and then like assume that that won't happen and then quit, you know? And um, so I remember going to the callback because I was like, I'm curious enough. I went to the callback and the director, Marcus Stern, um, described the set to us. And now we know like Christine Jones has won all these zillions of awards. She's a complete genius. You know, she won for, she designed all the magic for the Harry Potter set. She designed the set for that. She um, designed the American Idiot show. She's like this this true genius. But it was an early show in her career. And so the set they described to us was like high gloss red rooms, a vertical bathtub, you know. And I was so thrilled and inspired at the set design that I was like, I guess I'm in. Like, no matter what, I'm going to follow this through. But I couldn't read the script. You know, I didn't know what was going on. I had just had this Christine Jones set design. (laughs) So I was like, I'm in. And I worked with the director on my monologue. um, And I thought he was really smart. And then they offered me the job. And I was sort of like, do I do Bianca in Taming of the Shrew, which is an actual part, 
Or do I do this thing where I might have no lines and I might have to be naked the whole time? And I, that was like, this was like the big moment of my, you know, career, I guess, because it was sort of set the, set the, set my, set me on a path ultimately. Um, And I was like, I guess I got to do this other thing. I feel so much more excited by it and scared. And then I ended up having no lines and was naked the whole time I was on stage. Um, As was Dallas Roberts in that scene. We weren't looking at each other. We were like crowded in this weird little, you know, uh, some people described it as like a shower stall. It was sort of like a confessional booth. It was very tall and narrow. And we were both naked the whole time, like facing opposite from each other, like clinging to the walls. And um, it was so beautiful. It was like a stunning production. And Dallas Roberts, it was like one of his big first things and Adam and Christine. And um, yeah. and then that show moved to New York Theater Workshop. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I was sort of like, here I come, New York City. And of course, I had no lines. So it still took another couple of years before I, <laughs> I got an agent. Um, but I knew some people. So I could try to, you know, um, I had I had a, the beginnings of a of a little community, but so yes, that was my. It's uh, that was a long version of that story, but uh, I love that story that you took a risk. Yeah, that's sort of been, I guess, the thing for me is like if it's the scary thing, if it makes your heart flutter a little, I guess that's where you got to go, even if it doesn't make sense. There's been a lot of times in my life, my career, um, agents have been like, "Why do you want to do that?" Um, you know, or like I've turned down money jobs so many times mm. in favor of something that doesn't pay, but seems really, really exciting to me. Um, and that sort of is definitely <laughs> the, the recurring theme in my, in my career. <laughs> but that's our gift. I mean, I still think of your Luba. Am I pronouncing uh, right? Yeah, you, yeah, Luba. Luba, how... She breaks your heart. And I felt for her so deeply. And it's like going back to what Ben Brantley said, that you um, are such an exciting interpreter of people programmed to Um, (laughs) self-destruct. But I mean that in a very in a very good way. That's a compliment. That that here is a woman uh, in Happy Talk, Luba, who's um, an an immigrant, right? And she's struggling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I interrupted you. What did you say? Oh, no, I just said from Serbia. Serbia, yes. Forgive it. Yeah. And she's just trying to survive, trying to uh, save her child Mm -hmm. back in Serbia, right? Help her family, Mm -hmm. trying to do the right thing. And yet everything's against her. Yeah. And I just, the way you played her, I mean, I was just, I was just rooting for you on every turn. I just, and uh, with so many of your characters, you know, you, you, you go very, very deep within, I think of reasons to be pretty, all the, Mm. the, the shows you've done, but I love that you continue to do off-Broadway. And even when you have this flourishing, this wonderful, thriving TV and film career, that that you keep going. Well, you know, I mean, as we know, like the the sort of, um, the math of of a Broadway show, um, 
you know, it's it's not even for for me, um, as for a lot of people, like uh, necessarily like a, a a choice in that way, because the the truth of the matter is is that you know there are so it's so expensive. I mean, well, listen, we we will see. I guess what happens on the other side of this, all of this. We're going. We're all living through, but at least the world that we were were last in the sort of theater community that was that was as it was operating pre pre COVID. Um, the ticket prices for Broadway were so high that um, and the the cost of producing a show was so high that uh, there were very few, you know, marquee names at this point that that were big enough to to fill seats in a in a straight play there wasn't a ton of um I I remember so clearly like when I first was coming into the city and seeing Al Pacino and Huey and that was like the one show that there was a big movie star in that season or at least that's my memory of it there was like shows that like Cherry Jones was starring in you know and you yeah. had like uh theater stars in a, in a different way and um it's certainly I mean, Reasons to be Pretty got, as far as I know, got great reviews and we were going to close. I mean, we we had we had all the reviews that we you could hope for, but we couldn't sell tickets. Um, None of us were famous enough. And um, we like limped towards, you know, the, we, we decided, you know, there were, there were a lot of behind the scenes kind of machinations going on that kept us open through the Tony nominations. That was sort of a deal that was, was made was like, okay, we'll lose all the money, but if we get Tony nominations, maybe we can stay open. But we, if we close before the nominations even come out, we have, we don't have a chance. And, and we were playing. Oh, sorry. Then there are, and we were nominated for a Tony. For which, that. you know, which, which was, you know, I, the last thing I saw coming, I will tell you. But I will say that, you know, we were playing, but until then, until the Tony nominations, we were playing to 200 people in a 900 seat theater sometimes, you know, most of the time, you know. And it yeah. was, um, and we had, and we knew what we would just keep telling each other was, look, this is a sold out house at the Atlantic, you know, <laughs> we were like, this is a sold out house at Soho Rep. This is, and, and these people, these 200 people are going to have the time of their lives. And, and every night it would be true. They were, it was the most vocal house I've almost ever played to. They were like hollering and whooping and standing and screaming, you know, like they, they had a great show, but we knew it wasn't sustainable. And, um, uh, and we also knew we probably weren't going to win any of those Tonys because we knew what we were up against and we were sort of the underdogs and we weren't, that's just a fact of the Broadway kind of, um, algebra, you know? And so for me, you know, uh, and I don't think I would have been in Big Knife, for instance, uh, Bobby Cannavale and I are, are, are pals and we did, he asked, he asked me to do the reading of it and then he wanted me to play that part with him, um, but, you know, it's one of those it's one of those tricky things where it's like the roles that have come along for me um, off Broadway and the writers that have been wanting to work with me and the kind of material. Um, you know, there's definitely been things I wish I'd been able to do longer, which is what a Broadway run would would afford. And in a different era um, of this sort of industry, maybe 
those other shows could have moved to Broadway. Um, there could have been more shows that could have gone up on Broadway for a bigger house, a big, bigger crowd, and um, a longer run, uh, certainly. But, you know, I've, I've, I, I'm, my eyes are, are wide open in terms of, uh, you know, I, I know if I had um, a higher profile in some other ways, if I if I was lucky enough to get to do like a, a Marvel movie or something like that, I'm sure I could be in more Broadway shows. Um, but I also couldn't be happier with the the things I've I've I get to do um, off Broadway and the intimacy of that and the the um, the nature of that work. It, it doesn't it gets to be um, pretty immediate a lot of the time, and it gets to feel very intimate in a way that I've I, I'm I mean I'm I, I I'm one of the most fortunate. Um, people around, frankly, to be able to afford to do off-Broadway because of the TV8 work I've done and to be able to do such exciting stuff primarily. Isn't that wonderful? And all, I mean, also the stuff you're doing, you're on TV and film, I mean, you're in The Irishman. Mm-hmm. You have you have several films coming up, uh, The Empty Man, mm-hmm. Why the Last Man, um, you're on TV, you know, you had... Uh, you sneaky Pete. Mm-hmm. You had uh, uh, you starred in that, and um, is there a role that you're aching to play, whether it's in theater, or TV, or film, that or one that you want to go back to really badly? Gosh, you know, there's so many that I'd love to go back to <laughs> that I I really wish I could do. Uh, there's so many plays I wish I could. To go for another round or two. I, I funnily enough, like um, Ironbound was one that I did a second round of at the Geffen in LA because I had didn't have enough, <laughs> and I could do that one. I always tell Martina Mayok who wrote it. I'm always like, I, this can be my Count of Monte Cristo, which is such an inside baseball joke. But I was like, I, I would do this for the rest of my life. I just love it so much. And um, Marie Antoinette was a play I worked on with David Adjmi for seven years before it finally got produced. We workshopped that thing for seven years before it got produced. And then I did it at Yale and Soho Rep and I would do it again. Um, they just feel like they're, they're like places. It's like going to like visit a favorite vacation place or something, you know, like every time I would get to do it, it's like, Oh, let's go there every year. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) I love going there. I love going to visit that place. It's so fun. Um, Blue Ridge, I would love to do again. Uh, summer and smoke. I miss all the time. Um, those, there are lots of those parts where it's like, I, I feel like I didn't really under, I I didn't really start to begin to understand how to do it until you're at the end, because part of the learning process is, um, is with the audience and is just in the doing of it enough times that many of the other, um, technical things start to become second nature. So you, by the time you're done, you finally are feeling a different level of, of freedom with it, um. There's so many of those that I'd love to do. Um, it's just funny. I, I miss them. I miss going. I miss going to those places. You know, I miss visiting those vacation spots. <laughs> I hear you. I wish. I I I lament you know, the theater that I miss. Like I didn't see on the exhale, and I thought, oh, I wish I'd seen that. Oh, oh yeah. You know, I know that Broadway HD recorded it, um, and I have. I know people have watched it. I don't know. I, I so I know it's available. Um, that was one of the only times where I had like an official recording that wasn't just Lincoln Center. Um, that I'm really proud of because I know teachers who have been able to use it. 
uh, and I have other family that have that have seen it that couldn't travel to see it. Um, they, where they, you know, they did the, such a beautiful, they do a beautiful job when they record those things. So I, I think that yeah. one actually is available to watch uh, on, somewhere on the on Broadway HD. I I do feel excited about whenever we are allowed to start shooting why the last man because yeah. it's a graphic novel series that has meant a lot to a lot of people over the years it was it won you know peabody awards and things when it came out which i believe was 2008 i hope i'm not saying that wrong um and it kind of imagines a world where very suddenly everything with a y chromosome uh doesn't exist anymore drops dead um, no there's no spoilers it happens very quickly um but uh and it, it's it's an incredible opportunity to sort of investigate um, a version of the world for better and for worse um, that isn't purely like an apocalyptic world, but is sort of an experiment of a world that um, I think I'm excited for the exploration of it. And also, honestly, it's the first time I've ever had a female showrunner in all my television experience, other than Lena Dunham, uh, yeah. when a brief time I worked on Girls. But the first time I've ever been a regular on a show with a female showrunner. And um, uh, the writer's room is a really exciting group of people. And uh, it's... it's um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the... Uh, the I'm hopeful about you know, getting to actually, we shot the pilot almost two years ago now. It's gone through a lot of changes. And then of course this delay, but we were supposed to be in the middle of shooting now. So I, I hope that that, um, we get to work on that soon. And, and, and I'm also, frankly, I'm excited about, um, season two of Umbrella Academy, which comes out end of July. Um, I'm really proud of, of the work we got to do with that. And, uh, that was a show I didn't really know before. And, um, I feel like it, it's a show that actually has a lot, a lot to say, and and the work that we we managed to do this this season. I'm, uh, I'm excited about it, but I, I do, you know, um, also want to say that I, I'm trying to get better at being optimistic, um, yeah. in a general sense, and to that end, you know, I, I'm hopeful that the theater community in general finds some new, a new, a new, a new way of being um, at the end of all of this or, or on the other side, not the end, there won't be like an end obviously, but, but in, in that, that they find it, that it finds a new phase. Um, uh, and, you know, something that was already starting to happen the beginnings of that, um, basically since 2016, that I was experiencing personally that was really encouraging was that I was playing more and more characters, um, white women who were, uh, you know, um, mishandling and unaware of their privilege in a way mm -hmm. that um, gave me, the actor, a real feeling of usefulness um, because I felt like uh, it wasn't anymore just going to be about, you know, me as this white lady playing just kind of the heroine, but being able to use whatever, you know, skills set I, I have acquired to, to communicate something different about um, 
being in a kind of white cis female body on on in this world and that was already becoming exciting to me and i'm 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 trying to be hopeful about about what happens next and where we go next and what that looks like i hope as well that there's a way that we can talk about it openly mm-hmm. you know and freely and um you know, without hiding it yeah yeah. 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 And, you know, it speaks to, you know, there was a question that you were starting to ask a little bit earlier where, where about, you know, things that I might want to do or something in the in the future. Mm-hmm. I, and I, when I was a kid, I, I definitely had like a list of dream roles, you know, and I sort of, when I got to New York and realized that the most exciting stuff to me was thing were things that were brand new. Um, I sort of mm-hmm. let go of that list and thought, oh, that's actually, that was sort of a list of like, uh, like a blueprint, like um, they, they, there was were stand-ins for the kinds of things I wanted to explore. And so I can still feel like I've achieved those things, but but they maybe were um, prototypes <laughs> for something mm-hmm. that I would get to play in a, in a new play and that being able to work with writers is most exciting to me. And in a way that that speaks to sort of a feeling I'm having right now, which is like, I don't know. I don't know what it's what it wants to look like. Um, I believe in the visionaries who who can envision what it, what it can look like um, on the other side. But I'm trying to sort of let go of my own personal, um, you know, uh, attachments and um, look forward to the visionaries who are are dreaming up a a, a better, more inclusive world for all of us. Ah, that's a beautiful goal. Can I ask you about Nora in in uh, Why the Last Man? What you like? Oh, that sure. Character. Nora uh, works at the White House um, when we meet her, and she is a uh, the the White House being at the time a sort of um, uh, moderate Republican led White House, and so she is somebody who is um, extremely capable and very good at her job, but uh, overlooked. And um, I think she likes it that way, frankly. She has a lot, she has, a, she gets to sort of feel invisible in a way that feels um, useful for her. And um, it, what's, exciting and that I can't really get into is um what where what happens to her and and where her skill set um kind of evolves into um once sort of the world turns upside down but she's definitely somebody who's you know underestimated by most people and is the one who's kind of really kind of calling the shots behind the scenes while uh, her male coworkers um have the sort of glory of it all, which again, I think she sees as, as a benefit to her because it means she can sort of be a little, um, get, get, get some, sneak some more stuff in there, get some more stuff secretly done while the, while the spotlight's not on her. Um, but yeah, her, her skill set, her skill set will, will sort of evolve as we go. And, um, it's, uh, it's fun for me. I'm excited to see where she goes. And can you think of some of the best, acting or auditioning guidance that you've ever gotten? 
Oh gosh, you know, it's hard to put into a couple of sentences. Yeah, you know, there's a couple things I would say, and they're they're not things that are easily uh, enactable, but they are things that I think of as like practices <laughs> um, to sort of return to and try and work at. Um, when one of them is, one of them is honestly trying to find a way to enjoy the opportunity to act whenever you get it. So to think of your your chance to audition for something as an opportunity to get to do it and to find a way to enjoy yourself um, because it's too easy to feel like it's actually some sort of test um, to see if you're good at acting or not. And mm. it's really just... Um, about so much more than that, as we all know. Um, so the the best thing, the healthiest thing for me is to try to find a way to enjoy that time of getting to getting to actually do it, the thing that I love the most. So that's a practice that I try to enact for myself, um, finding a way to enjoy myself in that room, um, even if it's like, oh, who is who am I going to get to meet? And maybe we'll maybe we'll hit it off and maybe we won't and maybe I'll meet a new friend and um, I get to do this fun thing and and to try to kind of frame it like that for myself. Um, and then the other thing, which is just sort of a a survival motto that I've heard, that I hear a lot from my very good friend, Reed Bernie, and then also Ann Dowd told it to me in a, in a different way. We were working on this TV show, The Divide, together, and I was lamenting, you know, it, to both of them many, many times over the years. <laughs> um, but that was my part, you know. I, I felt it in the room. I got it, you know. And um, Reed, Reed says all the time, if the train doesn't stop at your station, it's just not your train. And that is so helpful to me. And Dowd says it in a way that that I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to try to remember the way she says it, which is a much more sort of Buddhist version, which is basically like, uh, what is for me cannot pass me by. What is not, I cannot grasp. And that is, so the, both the ways they say it are things that keep me sane to think like as much as it felt like it was mine, that train didn't stop at my station. It's not, that wasn't for me. That was somebody else's train. And if it is mine, then there's nothing I can do to lose it. It will be, it will be for me. And um, so it's not really audition advice, but sometimes it, it can keep me sane afterwards, feeling like if that was for me, it, it will be mine. If it's not, it's for someone else. Um, so life advice too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both of those people and dad and, and Reed are are two people that have, have brought me a lot of, um, stability in my life. And that's honestly the other advice I have is make friends with people who, who have been doing this longer than you because (laughs) they have the best perspective. Two of my other closest friends are Dee Dee O'Connell and Margot Martindale. And they also just like the perspective they have, and the the lives that they have lived before I even started doing this, you know, not that they're that much older than me, but but yeah. the experience that they have, that kind of perspective, I feel like continues to be 
so much more valuable for me than sometimes talking to other peers of mine where we can sort of wrap, whip ourselves up into a frenzy. And then you talk to somebody who's just seen a little bit more than you and that perspective is really invaluable. I still can't believe I missed Dela H. That's one of the ones, yeah. Oh. I know. Well, you know, we can all hope that it'll it'll come back. Um, we can yeah. all hope. I know that she's ready to do it again and that set is just sitting there at the vineyard waiting to go. So we'll 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 all pray. I know I I'd seen it a few times and I I feel like I could see that thing. If it wasn't so difficult in some ways to listen to, I would watch it every day just for her artistry. I have a wonderful day and thank you. You too. I'm excited to see more theater and film and TV from and all and the the all the plethora of characters that you bring to us. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great day. You too. It happens every day when lightning strikes. It's the moment you know. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore, and the talent was booked by Anna Strauss. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.